This week's episode of Peculiar Pairings may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back. Yeah, this is Peculiar Pairings. My name is Matt. And I'm Celine. Welcome to our show. Yeah, we, we, we talk about weird stories, we have some treats and some drinks, and we have a good yeah. time. Yeah, we do. And we're happy to have time. you join us. Yeah, yeah. We're happy to have you here. And uh, Celine, what, are, what is our story this week? We're talking about the serial killer, the Candyman, also known as Dean Coral. Dean Coral. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess being a serial killer isn't awesome, but he's got a cool no. name. Like, it's a cool, it's kind of like a cool movie name, but which kind of makes sense. My only familiarity with this this story at all is the the movies, and I'm guessing they've been a little Hollywooded up, so to speak. So, um, I actually looked into that, and they are entirely different stories. So, the oh, horror movie oh, oh. Candyman. Is more based off of like Bloody Mary. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> our serial killer today is in a category of his own. Okay, well, in in a way, then I'm I'm happy because I have no idea what we're going to talk about then. Which, although it does make the the pairing a little bit more weird, uh, just oh, no, because it works really well. Oh, okay, good. So. <laughs> We we were talking about it a little bit. Um, the treat this week is I just went with bit of honey. Uh, for anyone who is maybe not familiar, I think it's a Midwest thing. They're they're kind of like tootsie so. rolls. Yeah. Um. Uh. They're they're very prevalent up here. Um. You're you're in the Colorado area. I'm in in Minnesota. Yeah. It's so I just kind of assumed it was like a national thing. Um. But uh, they're they're all over the place up here. And so I thought it would be easy to find down there, but apparently not. I wasn't yeah, I was surprised. I, it's a little harder to find. I'm sure I could if I just tried a little harder, but yeah, I also had a busier week, so. Oh, really? Well, more just like adjusting to the new workplace and mm. that schedule and kind of just taking time to actually do things because instead of getting home and being tired and being like, I'm done, I'm done at three 30. And I'm like, I can do so many things. So much more time for activities. <laughs> it really is. I'm, I'm kind of in a similar situation. I, uh, I'm not switching jobs, but I'm, I'm currently living in Eau Claire and still working in South St. Paul. And I had put in a request uh, to transfer to an Eau Claire office. And yeah. that was, yeah, it was like over two months ago. And just earlier this week, I got a call from the Eau Claire HR people, or I think they're oh. technically located in Hudson. Yeah. And they're like, we were just wondering if you were still interested. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, okay, because I'm going to put it through now. And I'm like, wait a minute. So this whole time, I thought that it was just done and I wasn't going to see anything. And I was just waiting for someone to push a button. Because it wasn't even like the actual like manager of the office I'm trying to go to. Oh, that's it was funny. just yeah, it was this it was like just HR this, being like, "Wait, you want this, right?" Yeah, I think it was just 
Well, and, and she said that um, we didn't really talk in depth, so it sounded like they had to wait to start the process until there was an official opening that was coming up. Oh. But it still just felt like I was just kind of hanging out to dry and nothing was happening. But, so but yeah, they're like, hey, so yeah, we saw that the thing is coming up here. We just wanted to check in with you and make sure that you you were still interested. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Just like, okay, good. But yeah. uh, so hopefully I can go from having a two and a half hour drive out of my day to like 10 minutes. Yeah, so, that'll be really nice. Yeah. And it's... and to be fair, I've I've been enjoying the drive because I've I've had jobs in the past where I had like an hour commute each way. Yeah. You listen to, you know, the radio, you you put in a podcast, whatever, it can be all right, but Oh, absolutely. This, yeah, but this drive from Eau Claire to the Twin Cities is way better because it's not bumper to bumper all the time. Yeah. So I can kind of just cruise through and it's it's all right. Yeah, for sure. But but it would be nice to not have to do it. Just have more time in the day, essentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I just realized I didn't mention the drink at all. Um, this is a <laughs> concoction of my own design that uh, I don't know if it makes any sense, but it kind of was going uh, on the idea of like walking through a candy store, except it's a liquor store. So I was kind of Whoa. trying to get something from like all over the place. So it's one shot of vodka, one shot of rum for this one in particular, Kraken, then about a shot and a half of club soda for some fizziness, which did not quite work out the way I thought it would. And Aww. then the rest is uh, topped off with Hawaiian punch. And it uh, it is definitely a bit of a punch. It's I, I thought the oh, ratio yeah. would be good with the Hawaiian punch and club soda to alcohol, but there's still a, quite a lingering lingering amount there. But it's uh, it's oh, pretty tasty yeah. and... Uh, and it, it'll it'll get you where you need to be. Oh yeah, it's. I was drinking mine earlier, and after a little bit, I was like, "Oh, yeah." Ooh, okay. It's uh, it's not a drink you want to start the day with, unless that's <laughs> what you're going for. You know, I mean, if you're on vacation, you got nothing else to do, and you're like, "I'm gonna stay home, watch all the Candyman movies that exist, and just get day drunk and eat a bunch of bit of honey." It's perfect for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For other things, maybe not so much. No, or, no. It would be you... a great pregame drink, though. If oh, you're, like, yeah. you're going out. Yeah, like a kind of jungle juice or. A... Yeah. I can't remember. There's a there's a drink on It's Always Sunny that I can't remember now, but it's like bright blue colored and oh they God. put it in <laughs> gallon jugs of uh, water. It's it but... does remind me of that. Yeah, the only thing I know of that is a drink that is bright blue is the Adios Motherfucker, which is Sprite, rum, and blue curacao. Oh, okay. Or it's It might be vodka and not rum, but either way, still well, a strong maybe. drink, and it is bright blue. All right, we'll have to keep that in mind for, for an upcoming episode. I've... Uh... Oh yeah, I've happened good. to, or Lily happens to have some some blue curacao right over there, huh. and it is well, it is very blue. It is yeah. I'm shocked at how blue it is. It is very like, blue. That is not a natural blue color. Yeah. Uh, Spe speaking of blue. Oh, you son of a bitch! I was gonna I was gonna do that. 
Very nice. Um, I, with all of the stuff I've had going on, I got to go to the Van Gogh exhibit that they have in Denver, which I highly recommend for anyone who is an art person. If you're, if you like fine art, you should definitely go. Absolutely. Um, they had a lot of mirrors in the first room and they were like these sections that just kind of like jutted out up out of the ground. Yeah. And it was a little like visually overwhelming after a point. (laughs) So then ended up going into the other room and they actually had like the lights on the floor and that was a lot easier to handle in an odd way versus the other room. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because Lily and I happened to uh, go this week. Uh, they have another installation oh, you did. in. Yeah, they had another installation in nice. Minneapolis, and I was. I, I I agree completely. The first room is is just a bit overwhelming. Yeah, but it's also and and I'm I'm I was curious to see if they're like exactly the same everywhere. Um, I was surprised that the first room felt like just the perfect size, though. The mirrors almost felt like too much, but I liked the yeah. size of the wall, so to speak. But there was oh, no yeah. place to sit, which felt kind of awkward. And then we went into the second oh. room and I was I was happy because there's the benches and I really liked how they had the imagery on the floor. Um, but then, yeah, the walls are like another five or maybe even ten feet higher. Yeah. And it's just a bigger space. And it was uh, it was shocking. I was kind of surprised at just how uh, overwhelming it is. But I was also impressed just by the fact that with what appeared to be just perfectly placed kind of interspersed projectors that one, they were able to get such a crisp, clear image on that big of a wall, but that they were also like perfectly linked together. There didn't seem to be a seam anywhere in the imagery it was pretty impressive yeah Yeah, it's it's a really good installation and the one in denver they have benches in both rooms but there's definitely i think there's more in the second room but my friend and i sat on the floor in the second room because we had like the cushions Oh, yeah, yeah. We that you too. rented. So yeah. we sat like in the corner so we could see almost everything, which was really nice. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I was surprised that the, the my only criticism is I, I didn't really read up on any of it. I had only seen like little Internet, like Facebook, quick ad things for it. And um, yeah. so I was for whatever reason, I was under the impression that it would be more of like a walking tour that finished with this room of like the video thing. And so I thought that there would be a bit more exhibits like people inspired by him or, or little, I don't know, uh, little kind of models of places he lived. I thought it was going to be a bit more of an in-depth explanation of his life or something. So I was kind of surprised when they were just like, yeah, it's uh, playing the same thing in both rooms. And uh, you just walk through, stay as long as you want. And I'm like, but it's playing the same thing in both rooms. And uh, so I was just yeah. a little disappointed that it was it was just the video. Um, but it was really cool. And in some yeah. points, very, like, trippy. Yeah. The one in Denver, they had, like, these other sections. With just, like, within the art gallery building itself. They had this huge 
like self-portrait of Van Gogh. You know, oh, like no the kidding. really famous one yeah. with like a little plaque in front of it. And then they had this sculpture <clears throat> of a ink pen with papers like swirling around it. Oh, and wow. this was like before you went in that a different oh. artist made that, but it was like all of his handwritten letters within like the notes. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I will admit there that was, was nice. There was something like that, like kind of in the lobby. I believe a yeah. local artist had made like a recreation of his, of his like art set, uh, like a briefcase kind of thing. And oh, then it had a, cool. a palette with his. Yeah. And and so I guess I should say it wasn't just the video, but I was expecting there yeah. to be more stuff like that kind of yeah. leading up to the video. So I thought it was like the first room would be a bunch of displays of local artists doing things mm -hmm. that were inspired by so, yeah, like I said, that's my only critique. Beyond yeah. that, it was super cool. And I like that yeah. um, even though it was the same video in both rooms, it was a surprisingly different experience in both rooms. We actually stayed and watched yeah. it almost four times. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, we watched it like one and a half times in the first room. And then in the second room, I think my friend and I watched that about one. Well, she watched it like. She watched the first one like almost one time through and then went to the other room because she's like, I can't. This is a little much. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, I'm going to go in the other room and just like see how that goes. And she's like, this is a lot better. I'm like, OK, <laughs> I I understand that. So then yeah. we were in there at least one like full time through. I left like kind of at the tail end of the first one since we came in like closer to the end. Right. Yeah. So just to kind of like catch up to where we were before. And I was like, okay, I am back at the beginning from when we walked in. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and I don't want to downplay like the creativity of it because it must have taken a lot really of work. Well. Yeah, the, yeah. The music choices, the, the way that they blend some of the elements of different paintings and the transitions between them and how they animate some of them are... I mean, it, yeah, so I'm, I, yeah, I, I don't want to sound like it was disappointing. I, I just thought that it was slightly different than what it was. But if you, yeah, if you are an art fan to any degree, it is worth going and seeing it at least oh, once. We're, yeah. we're hoping it comes back around at some point. I, I imagine it's been popular enough, especially kind of semi post pandemic yeah. that they'll, they'll probably come around again. But yeah, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. So I highly suggest going. If you have not, that's that's <laughs> no, our take. Yeah, I was gonna say not sponsored. It's just what's going on with us, and it sounded like yeah. something fun to talk about. So uh, yeah, if you have a chance yeah. and it's nearby, go go check it out. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So we're but gonna get that, yeah. into our story, and I'm gonna give a disclaimer here, just because we are talking about a serial killer. This is going to be a darker topic. If that's not your thing, totally fine. Join us next time. If it is, cool. But just some disclaimers and trigger warnings for everyone. This story does involve murder, sexual assault, violence against minors, the death of minors. And I mean, really, it's a serial killer. What do we expect? Death. But just yeah. if that is triggering for you, don't listen. We understand it. We respect it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, it's it's 
We're not going to hold against anybody for not listening to something no. that uh, that will disturb them. That's fair. Yeah. So, I'm going to talk about the Candyman, Dean Coral. And my sources are AETV.com, Wikipedia, and Murderpedia. All the good stuff. <laughs> so, this is not the story of the Candyman from the horror films. It's entirely different, but the name is relevant, and we will get okay. into that. Good to know. So, Dean Coral, born Dean Arnold Coral, on December 24th, 1939. Yeah, definitely, definitely good to drop the middle name. Does not, <clears throat> I don't know why Dean Coral sounds so cool to me, but Dean Arnold Coral doesn't, you know, like some serial killers just have a good three name, like, Red that flows. Yeah. Uh, John yeah. Wayne Just, Gacy. Exactly. Ted Bundy. Oh, wait. Damn it. There Theodore are more. Something Bundy. <laughs> I don't know his middle name. I like that my, my second suggestion was already not uh, making my point at all in any way. But Dean Coral. Dean Coral's better. You get it. Dean Coral's Dean better flow than... Yeah, he was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Was the first child to marry Emma Robinson and Arnold Edwin Coral. So that's where he got his middle name is from his dad. Got some his, heavy names in that in that family. Yes. Yes, they do. His father was pretty strict with him and his siblings growing up. I think for the most part it was Dean and his younger brother. I don't know if he had any sisters at this point. But and his brother has no name. I never got his brother's name. That's fine. Nobody cares. Which he's, he's not really that not important relevant. to yeah. the story. So it's I don't really think that's important information. <laughs> Effectively, he's, he's an only brother. child. Yeah, his younger brother, sisters. He got out of the house early. He's like, fuck you all. I'm going out on my own. <laughs> not really, but <laughs> shit. All right, I'm gonna not guess the story and let you tell it. Yeah, so his father was pretty strict with him and his siblings, and his dad just generally kind of had a distaste for his own children. So, oh, great, any great little father thing, material. Oh, yeah, any little thing they did wrong, they got like really harsh punishment for, just was not like a stable influence. In their lives growing up. So that's great. And then his mom was very protective of her children. Mm. So obviously his parents were a match made in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) They fought all the time. No kidding. His, His parents, so Dean's parents, were divorced while he was an infant. And then got back together during World War II. Yikes. And then they divorced four years after Dean's youngest brother, Stanley. I do have a name, actually. Stanley Wayne Coral was born. Oh, wow. So that was 1946. And during that time, his mom, Mary, sold their family home and relocated all of them in a trailer home in Memphis, Tennessee. And she did that so that they could be close to the U.S. Air Force Base where Arnold was stationed. And since oh, he was okay. drafted and she wanted 
their kids to like still have contact with their father. Right, right. Were they divorced at this time? They were divorced at this time. Okay. So 1946. Right. Okay. So he gets drafted. He's in the military. And well, that's, I mean, that's considerate. She wants them to have their father in their lives and she goes through all the effort to, yeah, that's surprisingly considerate. Considering, considering how it sounded like their relationship was, they, it seems like no one in this family really likes the dad, but he is still their dad. You know? Yeah. They, they, they deserve to at least have the option of him being in their lives. So that's pretty cool. So then Dean, as a child, just growing up in general, was pretty shy and also a very serious child. Sounds ominous. I know. An ominous little child right there. He didn't really socialize with other kids, so. Good good start. Jesus. (laughs) At the age of seven, he got rheumatic fever, which actually just went undiagnosed. Diagnosed entirely. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is, so, is that... Sorry, I completely missed that. It, like, cut out. Yeah, I was going to um, uh, uh, What did I say? Is that uh, rheumatic fever? Is that potentially life-threatening? I have no idea what that is. It can be. So it, there's a lot of, like, inflammation that happens. And the bigger issue is that you can have heart inflammation and like actually oh. have damage to your heart and like your lungs, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's definitely not good <laughs> as a seven year old. His case I mean, was undiagnosed. Age, but still. No, yeah. but he went undiagnosed and it was completely unrecognized by doctors. They're like, he's sick. Cool. Ugh. And the reason they found out that he even had it was that they then found out in 1950 so he's like 11 at this time that he had a heart murmur oh so because of that he was then told that he can't participate in pe class with the other kids oh no really (laughs) also helpful to like okay so you have an abusive home life your father's a piece of shit your parents are divorced and you don't get to let off any steam you don't get to exercise Yes, no, our, our official diagnosis is shit life. That's what you get. And uh, good luck. Goodbye. Pay your yeah. bill on the way out. Poor kid. In 1950, his parents again tried to reconcile and remarried. Oh, so they did. this is wow. the third marriage to each other. They huh. then moved to Pasadena, Texas, which is where most of our story will take place today is in Texas. Further, further south. Yeah. And mm-hmm. their reconciliation was short-lived as they again divorced in 1953. Wow. That's got to be expensive. Yeah. Oh, I know. We're going to marry and divorce and marry and divorce and marry and divorce. <laughs> this time I- it is it. Although, to be fair, the number of times that, like, she presumably got her own homestead when they divorced, yeah, maybe she's yeah. turning a profit on those. Maybe that's working out. Maybe. I mean, you usually Mary? don't turn a, Yeah, you usually yeah. don't turn a profit on a, on a, uh, a trailer, no. as far as I know. But, uh, you know, maybe she's savvy like that. Maybe. 
We don't really know much about Mary, but she does seem like a pretty savvy businesswoman. Well, that's good. Yeah. Following. And a decent mom. Yeah. Following her third divorce to her first husband, she then married a traveling clock salesman. <laughs> I don't know what one, just the fact that she tried marriage so much with the same man for so long I know. and still was willing to give it another try for whatever reason. Clock salesman is just a cherry on top of that. I, that really, <laughs> that really hit me just right. That, uh, that really uh, turned my gears. Oh yeah. That, uh, so. that, uh, that gave me a minute. So, sorry, I was going for another clock joke. God damn it. Second, every second, laugh a second. Go on. So following this new marriage, she then moved their family to Vidor, Texas, which is just like a suburb of Houston. And Dean's half-sister, Joyce, was born in 1955. Hooray! Yeah, so I think at this point, he is in his young teens. He's like high school age at this point. Okay. So then Dean's mother and stepfather started a small candy company. Oh, yay! That's the, wow, from clocks to candies. Or maybe he did both. He, I think he did do, he did do both for at least a while, They started the company out of their garage, and in the early days of the business, Dean worked there when he wasn't at school. So he was running the machines. Him and his brother were in charge of running the candy-making machines and packaging all of the products. So basically doing all the hard work that is (laughs) potentially going to remove a finger here and there. Yeah, and then their stepfather would sell this while he was on the road. Oh, so he okay. was still traveling and selling right, right. all of his clocks. So he sold clocks and candy. Huh. Cool. Candy yeah. clocks. Candy and clocks. Candy and clocks. Cuckoo candy. That <laughs> just makes I mean, me think of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I, that's what I was thinking, too. And then I was like... Boy, I should get into the cereal game. That's where the, the the real money is. Oh yeah, selling selling clocks and candy. All right, on the road. Oh, well, the fifties were an interesting time. They were. Dean was seen as a pretty well-behaved student during his high school years, but he was also seen as a bit of a loner. Didn't yeah. really socialize. He continued that trend. Yeah, I was gonna say he was such a serious child, and they were like, "Oof." He was creepy. He was known to have dated a few girls during his high school years, and okay. he also was a bit of a band geek. He played the trombone in the brass band, and that was his thing. That, that, that's what I played. Really? I, yeah, for real. For real. <laughs> I played, no, yeah, I play I still have it. I still uh, very occasionally take it out, but oh my God, maybe I'm going to be a serial killer. No, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, once you, <laughs> if you're if you're not into it by your mid to late thirties, probably not going to happen. Yeah, you know it's it's a dream that that uh, you got to you got to start young. It's a young man's game. It kind of is a young man's game, just like all the stuff involved. Yeah, you gotta I mean, be a you've got to try. 
if you've yeah if you've if, if for anyone who's watched Dexter, it's it's a lot of long nights. It's a lot of physical labor. You've got to mm-hmm. you know you've got to have a lot of core strength. Um, and you know, you've got to be, you got to be fast too. I, I don't think yeah. I have the, I just don't, I have neither the time nor the energy. Yeah. It's, it's the, a lot. That's all. That's all that's keeping me from being a serial killer. It's just so, no time. and no Regular morals, just like the time and energy. Yeah. You know, I still have psychopathy going for me. I got no morals or emotions or whatever. Just, uh, <laughs> just feels like so much work. Uh I mean, if something seems like too much work, I do question if it's worth it. For sure. Well, yeah. And it's, you, you know, talking about serial uh, killing, you really have to have the passion. It's you, what it's. You really do. It's, you, can, you gotta yeah. have, you gotta have the right mind for it. Exactly. You can have the physique and the skill set, but if you don't have the passion, it's not happening. Nope. So okay. in. Yeah, we don't have to talk about me being a serial killer much longer. That's fine. <laughs> in 1958, Dean's family then moved to Houston Heights so that they could be closer to where they sold most of their candy. Oh. No, to, to cut really out a bit the of the travel time, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. So his family opened a new candy shop, which they called Pecan Prince. Hmm. That's a cute name. Well, it also kind of makes me happy that you ended up with the pecan sandies because that, that, that ties in. Yeah, the pecan prince. I like it. In 1960, at the request of Dean's mother, he then moved in with his widowed grandmother. So he went back to Indiana. At oh, this weird. time, he was in, I want to say he's about 19. At this time, maybe a little bit older. So he's. Did you say at the request yeah. of his mom? Yeah, his mom was like, hey, can, can you go you stay the- with <laughs> your widowed grandmother? Because like maybe she's not doing so hot. So we went oh, back to I, Indiana. OK, I was thinking it was more of like, hey, can you get the fuck out of here? I got a newborn still and <laughs> you're 19. Just- Go, just yeah. go. We need you to start serial killing and pulling in some money because this is bullshit. <laughs> start so, with your grandma. Okay, so he would have been like 20 at this time. So okay. it's after graduating yeah. high school. Um, During this time, he formed a close relation with a girl he was seeing at the time in Indiana. Not his grandma. No, not his grandma. Just okay. a local local girl. Serial killing is fine, but... Local girl. Yeah, yeah. but dating your grandmother, my God. But he rejected her marriage proposal to him in 1962. Oh, my dude. I I mean, I know it's easy for me to judge from where I'm sitting, but, like, I can't help feeling like they're not just going to come rolling in after this. Yeah. Shortly after that... He then returned back to Houston to help with the family candy company. Don't know what happened to Grandma. Grandma's out of the picture at this point. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm assuming that Grandma wasn't doing so hot. He took care of, like, her stuff. And oh, I thought you were going to say he took care, care of her. Like He took care I, of Grandma. I'm as telling far you, as I know, he didn't. I'm telling you, he started his, uh, his uh, lust for blood with his grandma. He's like, I'm sick of Indiana. I want to go back to Texas. He's like, there's one way I know how to do this. 
As far as I know, that is not the case because Dean very much has a particular M.O. Oh, okay. So right. we, we will get into that shortly. Fair enough. So during this time, like right after he came home, his mom then divorced her traveling salesman husband Aww. and began her own candy company. Oh, shit. All right. I I know. Rival candy companies. Here we go. Fuck this clocks and candy dipshit. I'm not Thanos. Hey. Yeah. So she called her company the Coral Candy Company. The Triple C. Nice. And Dean became vice president and his younger brother became the secretary treasurer. And in that same year, so this is 1963, one of the young teenage male employees complained to his mom, Mary, that her son made some unwanted sexual advances towards him. So she fired the teenager. Oh, my. Wow. How dare you say that? My son that way. How dare you? He's a fine southern boy. My child, no. So. And she's her last words to the girl were, "I will if I ever see you again, I will kill you." And then, uh, yeah, and her son, yeah, yeah. So, shortly after that, Dean was then drafted to the army, despite oh, the fact that he had a heart condition. Oh yeah, that's weird. This well, I mean, it was. Oh, I mean, it- Around the time of, I believe, Vietnam. Yeah, I was so. going to say, yeah, they were they were drafting pretty haphazardly, one might say. Yeah. So. He trained as a radio repairman. So I don't think he was really out. Yeah, he, he, he can do that lines. with a heart. Yeah, he can do that with a heart condition. Yeah. As far as they, I know, he can. Yeah, he's not he's not running radios in the field. They have him break out in the jungle. They bring it back to him. He fixes them up and he's. Yeah. yeah, he's sitting in a desk somewhere just fixing things. Yeah. According to his military records, Dean had an unblemished history. Okay. But he hated it there. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, he didn't make waves, but he's like, I fucking hate this. I want to go home. Just want to get discharged and go back to making candy. Yeah. If I so, could just... He did apply for a hardship discharge on the grounds that he needed to go home and help his family with their business, which they granted. Oh, OK. So, I, that seemed kind of counterintuitive to me, just in the sense that yeah. like you're making money in the army so you could potentially be sending that back to your family. But you're arguing that you need to be out of the army so that you can go help them make money. But uh, whatever yeah. works, he didn't want to be there. He got out. Good for him. Yeah, so he was given an honorable discharge on June 11th, 1965. Oh, all right. So after his discharge, he had confided in a close friend, and I think a few close friends, actually, that he realized during his service that he was homosexual and had his first homosexual encounters. That does make more sense with the turning down the marriage proposal then. Yes, it absolutely does. There's a reason. He just wasn't that into her. 
All right. Well, okay. You know, I mean, you got to be who you are. That's exactly nothing wrong with that. It was also during this time that his friends started to notice some shifts in his personality and that he was spending a lot of time with younger teenage boys. Oh. Like David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley, who okay. we will talk about a little bit later. I, I'm, I'm all for people being who they are. Uh, maybe, maybe there are certain lines that one shouldn't, uh, shouldn't delve beyond. Yes. In his time with David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley, who I believe what my Wayne instead of Elmer, they Good were, call. yeah, they I were passing so. out free candy and hosting glue and paint sniffing parties at Dean's house. What the? F- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> to me, that just sounds like kind of a weird thing to do. But that Especially- could just be me because I'm not huffing paint. Well, it's that, especially in your 20s. Like, he, this is a guy who served in the military. That just seems like. Yeah. You're, you're moving into the 70s. There are better drugs out there that They're you can really, get pretty you easily. Drugs of the 60s and you're going right. with that? Yeah, that's like, I mean, again, maybe if you're 12 and for your for whatever reason you you and your buddies are into huff and paint and glue like okay that, that you at can least get your hands on yeah yeah that you can pretty easily just at like a, any store walk into and grab some stuff but like yeah. what the fuck yeah there are better drugs bro they really are and he also started displaying a bit of a sadistic streak mm. so i'm fine with doing what you want with a consenting party. Right. But yeah. Most of what I understand was not that. So for that reason, yeah. we boo this boo. Yeah. Again, you know, it's for some people, they, they like a certain they do. thing. Yeah. And, and between multiple consenting adults, Okay. Yeah, uh, that is, that yeah, is something when, else entirely. When it is consenting adults. Yeah. I, yeah. Like considering considering your disclaimer at the beginning, I'm I'm confident we're we're gonna delve into uh, some dark stuff. Oh yeah, yeah we are. But he also then resumed his time and you know position back at the candy factory. So going back to something kind of familiar. Oh, wow. Well, good for his mom. I mean, it sounds like it's going well. I mean, that's a long-running candy store. Yeah. And it was within that same year that he returned, they then moved the candy store across the street from an elementary school. So Dean was known to the local children to be the man that hands out candy. And especially to teenage boys in particular, that was usually who he gave most of the candy to. But they started calling him the Candyman and the Pied Piper. Oh, my God, that's horrifying. Although, I, I mean, on the, on the plus side, not that this is really a plus side, but in terms of pop culture-ness, that, that is at least a more fitting name than, like, how the film series references the name of the Candyman feels like this is much more pro- like he literally had a shop selling candy and I think we all get it. Yeah. 
Yeah. From what I understand, Dean is the person that you hear about as a kid where they're like, don't take candy from strangers. That's Dean. You don't take candy from someone like him. Oh, my. (laughs) He's the one that started that. Yeah, he was also known to always be smiling and just like always happy-go-lucky. Oh, yeah, as as creepy as he could possibly be, basically. Yeah. And he was also known to flirt with a lot of the young teenage male employees at the candy company. Oh, boy. So he set up like pool tables and stuff like in one of the back rooms, I think, so that like they had like a place they could hang out. All right. Oh. Wow. In 1967, Dean befriended David Owen Brooks, who is one of the kids he gave free candy to. Oh, boy. And David said that he kind of became friends with Dean because he was one of the only people that didn't mock him for his appearance. Oh, so, I I don't think we've really talked about his appearance before. Did he get injured in the war or was he just not... Uh, um, not, attractive gentleman. It's not Dean, it's David. So the oh, younger oh, man, oh, David. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I completely missed but, what was going on. Oh, so Dean was one of the few people who didn't mock David for yeah. his appearance. Okay. And he just looks like a normal person. So, like, I don't know if he just, like, was that kid in school that other kids just picked on yeah so then having someone not pick on him for like the first time in his life he's like oh my god like this is so great yeah someone who's actually kind of nice to me yeah and they began a sexual relationship with each other in 1969 so about two years after knowing each other and he's still in high school i have no idea how old david was when they met Okay. I want to say he was younger. I was going to say I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to uh bet that he was uh legally not an adult. Oh, no. I I don't believe so. I don't think he was. But the candy company was closed in 1968 during which Dean's mom and his youngest his younger sister moved to Colorado and That would actually be the last time that he would see his mom, but they talked on the phone pretty frequently. Okay. A little little sad. Yeah. Well, and it does seem odd that, like, I mean, right across the street from a a school, it seems like that's the perfect place to keep a a candy shop hopping, and it was going for so long. Yeah, it seems... I I was kind of convinced that it was never going to die, but... uh, Yeah. It is a little sad. It is. And Dean then became an electrician for the Houston Lighting and Power Company. Right. So he he had a stable guess. job and yeah. he he did that until he just always did that after that. So he stayed with them for a long time. So now we're gonna get into the the bread and butter of the serial killer. <laughs> I was going to say, up to this point, there hasn't really been anything 
too questionable exactly, some inappropriate comments, potentially inappropriate sexual behavior. A little, but, a little predatory behavior, but... Yeah, but nothing... Yeah, yeah. Nothing that is overtly criminal. Just I mean, just outside creepy. of his relationship with David Brooks, no. Well, yeah, I'm not... Like, yeah. Nothing's... Well, whatever. Well, like you said, we're we're about to get into the uh yeah. bread and but the heart of, of his uh deviousness. Yeah. So this is where Dean's first victim, Jeffrey Conan, comes into the picture. Jeffrey was eighteen years old. And on September fifteenth, nineteen seventy, he vanished while hitchhiking with another student from the University of Texas. So as they were hitchhiking, he had to go one way and his friend had to go another. So he was dropped off on one of the corners near the uptown of Houston. And it is likely that Coral then picked him up. And Mm. that was the end. Wow. Just gone. Yep. Brooks led Conan or sorry, the police to Conan's body where he had been strangled. He had been gagged with clothing and his body had been buried underneath a boulder. Oh, wow. Which was covered in a layer of lime. He was wrapped in plastic, naked. His hands and feet were bound by nylon and rope. Holy crap. Just to clarify, do you mean he he was buried at, like, the base of a boulder? Or, like, he was in the ground and then a boulder was moved on top of him? I think he was buried at the base of a boulder, but, like, still hidden. Yeah, yeah, okay. The boulder may have been, like, on top of the ground he was underneath. He wasn't, like, squished by it. That's okay, right. (laughs) I'm just like, how the hell did he move this giant rock? I mean, even a... Yeah, is he bringing out excavation equipment out there? To, but yeah, I got, he, he put him at the bottom of a big rock. Yeah. And it is unclear to me as to the when of when Brooks led police to Conan. It could have been like almost immediately, like shortly after, or it could have been like a while. So, yeah, potentially, like, he gets caught years later, and they're like, where's the body of this kid? Yeah, and he, okay. Exactly. And shortly after, or around, like, the same time, Brooks walked in on Dean in his apartment, so in Dean's apartment, sexually assaulting two teenage boys that Coral had tied down to his bed. Oh, my God. And it is at this point that Coral bribed Brooks, essentially, and was like, I will buy you a green Corvette if you say nothing. I will buy your silence. And he's like, I mean, okay, I guess. In that case, you take the Corvette and then go to the cops. I mean, that would be the smart thing to do. (laughs) But, you get the, yeah, you get that sixties style stingray, and then and then you then you turn him in. Yeah, Coral later told Brooks that he killed the boys, 
and then offered him $200 for any boy he could lure to his apartment. Oh my God, what? So 200 per boy. And that's in the 70s, uh, late, yeah, 70s? Yeah. I imagine that this, Jesus. Today's equivalent of that is $1,437. Wow. Because our inflation rate is from the from the seventies to now is six hundred eighteen percent. Holy crap! Which I'm gonna just throw this number out there just to kind of show the difference of inflation from then to like now from nineteen twenty to nineteen seventy. So like the fifty years before, two hundred dollars would have been the equivalent of three hundred eighty eight in the seventies from the oh yeah twenties. So. Huge wow. inflation jump from the 70s to now to the <laughs> point that $200 is worth $1,500. That's insane. It's a good chunk of money. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the 80s come along and everything becomes digitized and I know. credit cards and whatnot. And things start moving faster and yeah, you get uh, international commercialization. Oh, yeah. Inflation. Woo! Yay! <laughs> but My heart still, hurts thinking about two, it. Two hundred dollars a boy, and so yeah. presumably Brooks was like, "Well, I already got a Corvette. Yeah, I could use some money." I think so, and I think I feel like there's also more involved with Brooks and Coral being romantically involved with each other. Yeah. And that, that's where things get messy and people people are more willing to do stuff they normally wouldn't when romantic right, right. partners aren't involved. God, that is horrifying. Yeah. Then on December 15th of 1970, Brooks lured two 14-year-old boys, James Glass and Danny Yates, oh. to Dean's apartment from a religious rally. And Glass was an acquaintance of Brooks who had previously been to Dean's apartment. So he wasn't like super unfamiliar to Dean. He'd like maybe met him once or twice before. It was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So maybe familiar enough that it didn't feel weird, like going to his place, perhaps. Yeah. I like, think like so. it's not a complete stranger. So he's like, yeah, whatever this is, sure, cool, man. Yeah, so at the apartment, they were then tied to this torture board that Dean had. I'm assuming he made it. He's got a torture board? Is there a description of this board? No, and I am afraid to look it up. So That's fair. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just... You don't want to know what it looks like. I don't. No. Uh, they were oh. raped and strangled and then buried in a boat shed that Dean had rented. What? What? Okay. Yeah. I, and an electric cord I, with alligator clips at, on like the two ends was then buried with Yates's body. So weird. I'm assuming something that looks like car jumper cables. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 
that was I, all I, I had. Don't I don't want to know more. No, that's fair. I, I'm, and I'm not trying to like critique his serial killerness, but it just seems odd. Why would you bury them in a place that you rented? That seems like you're gonna get caught for sure. I, I'm, I, unless I just don't understand exactly what a boat shed is or how that oh. works. I don't know. Have you seen the Ozarks? Yeah, I yeah, I watched the first couple episodes like it's, 2 years ago. It's in like the first episode when he's going around like the area and he goes to like the guy at like the docks. Yeah. With the sheds and he's like, "Oh, I can help your business." So he rented like one of those where people aren't really looking into those a whole lot. And because he was actively renting it, nobody's like, hey, I'm renting this boat shed for you and it smells weird. Yeah. Well, I guess I I was picturing something that's over the water, but this is like a a land-based shed that you would keep a boat in. Yeah, you keep it like during the winter when the boat's not out. Yeah, and it's so it's just like a dirt floor and he's burying bodies underneath. Okay. I think so. And six weeks after the double murder of Glass and Yates, Brooks and Coral encountered two teenage brothers, Donnie and Jerry Waldrup, who were walking home. And... They enticed the boys into Coral's van and drove to an apartment that he had rented by the boat shed. So now he's starting to move apartments so that he's starting to bounce around with where he's located. Yeah, like he's 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 like straight up. He's got like a, a, a kill apartment now, like he's got like. Kind of. Okay. He, that's just weird. He has a second apartment? No, I think he moved out of his apartment and then got this other apartment. Oh, okay. Okay. I was. Because he's, he doesn't want to start like a rising suspicion from like his neighbors. If they keep seeing. Him moving dead bodies out of. I think more if they just keep seeing like younger men going to his house and like teenage boys that he's yeah. like, they're like, you know, I saw, I saw some young man going over to Dean's and I haven't seen him in three days. Eesh. It's kind of like if you. He's going to a more see, remote happen, place, like, maybe. I think it's more like if it happens like a few times nobody's really noticing and then he moves before anyone really catches on. Okay. Yeah. I'd buy that. So So he's not even, yeah, he's not even necessarily having, it's not necessarily like a better kill area or something. He's just trying to keep people off of his trail essentially. Yeah. So he's, he's kind of starting to do some of that with his whole killing spree. So, the brothers were also raped, strangled, and buried in the boat shed, like glass and gates. It's also weird to me that he he does like, like I I feel like you don't often hear of people killing two at a time, like regularly. That's I I don't know why that detail is sticking out to me. That just seems so odd that he would it because I mean that just seems like you're putting yourself in a position where you're outnumbered again. Not that I'm trying to critique his serial killing yeah. style, 
it just seems so odd. But I, I guess he's just good at luring them and, and getting them. Uh, well, he is uh, enticing them with his glue sniffing parties and paint oh, huffing. Oh, oh, so right. they get there and then they're really high. So vulnerable. Yeah, vulnerable is the word I was looking for earlier. The other yeah. become more vulnerable. Still doing and, the glue and paint, huh? Yeah, he does that like the whole time. That's his that's his thing. So, everything about this is just bizarre. I mean, and, I know that he's a killer, but it's like even for killers, this is particularly odd. Yeah. Between March and May of 1971, Coral abducted three victims, and Brooks was known to have participated in the abduction of the three victims. And one of them was 15-year-old Radnell Harvey, who was riding his bike towards, like, mm. a neighborhood. Yeah. And he was killed by a single gunshot to the head. Ugh. So he's changing up his methods a little bit. Jeez. And the other two were 13-year-old David Hillegas and 16-year-old Gregory Malley Winkle who were abducted and killed together on the afternoon of May 29th, 1971. Wow. Then, and, and presumably they fit the MO more perfectly, like they were strangled and... Yeah, it does seem odd that the one... I'm presuming that they were. Right, yeah. It, it, again, it kind of seems odd that he would just kind of randomly kill the one person with a gun. I think it's more him, like experimenting because i know some yeah. serial killers do that they experiment a little and they're like "Ooh, i didn't really like this or right right yeah this wasn't the same as doing it this way which that's that's really weird to kind of think about think of but it, yeah it's almost like they're working on a craft yeah and it's oh god it's weird. disturbing yeah it is that's messed up yeah, and on August 17th of 1971, Coral and Brooks ran into one of Brooks's acquaintances, which was 17-year-old Reuben Watson Haney. And they invited him to a party to the new address that Coral had moved to. So still moving around, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to come to your party. Like, this is going to be great. Woohoo! And all he right, was glue and, paint. and buried in the boat shed. Oh my god, he still has this freaking boat shed. He still, <laughs> well, he's kind of committed to it at this point. He's got so many bodies, yeah. he kind of, yeah, they're like, he, he's changed more apartments in, in like half a decade, but then, than most people live in, like. In their whole in their lives. lifetime, yeah, yeah, but he's kept the same boat shed with no boat. I'm also assuming. I'm assuming there is no boat. That's yeah. That's at least in my head what I'm what I'm going with because it yeah. just is extra bizarre. Yeah, he then moved again in September, so like less than a month later. Wow! And Brooks helped him with yet two more murders. The, oh man, Brooks and, has got different but also equally like severe issues yeah the with this group of victims their identities were unknown 
Oh my. But Brooks did state that these two boys in particular were abducted and then kept alive for four days before they were murdered. Oh, wow. That seems like a pretty significant jump in in M.O. Oh, my God. Four days. That's awful. Because, you know, he's torturing them. He has a torture sure, yeah. board. Like, you know he is hurting oh them, and that... It just hurts my heart to think about. I don't like it. I don't... That's... That is pretty awful. Yeah. And in the winter of 1971, so t- December... Yeah. Brooks introduced Henley to Coral. So, Elmer Wayne Henley... Okay. He was presumably intended to be a victim, actually. Oh, And yeah. then Coral decided that he actually would make a good accomplice in their operation. And offered Henley the same $200 per boy reward that he did for Brooks. Wow. And he also told Henley at the time that he... In doing so, he would then be involving himself in what he called a white slavery ring, which it's it's sexual slavery. Let's just call it what it is and not like sugarcoat it. Right. Also, like it doesn't help anybody. Yeah, no, it none of that. Uh, I, yeah. Like the fact that he's willing to put a label on it like that is just. Somehow, every every it step of the way, worse. It yeah. just gets worse. Every step of the way, he has one little extra thing that makes each like you're already horribly scarring, uh, yeah, abusing and murdering people. But he somehow finds a way to put one little extra like tweak on things that make it just that much more disturbing. Yeah. So. Henley thought about the offer for about a month before accepting it. Oh my God. Okay. Clearly not going he to the cops. Sa- yeah. He, yeah. He sat with it for a month, didn't go to anybody and was like, you know, I could benefit from the money. Like I could financially, this would be good for me. Oh my God. So he started as a participant in the abductions. And then later became an active participant in the murders alongside Coral. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, that's kind of the difference between uh, Henley and Brooks, is that Brooks didn't murder anybody. What he did is still awful. Like, he set it up for that, but then... It's it seems like he was doing both. Yeah, it seems like Brooks was kind of caught up in a relationship that was just toxic and Mm -hmm. clearly not appropriate. And was again, not to defend what he did, but like he was manipulated into trying to please his partner, maybe. Exactly. But yeah, Henley's Henley is like, oh, yeah, I'm into this. I want to kill. He's like, ooh, ooh. Oh, okay. Okay. I've been trying to figure out who I am as a person. And finally, this visionary comes along and shows me. Someone gets it. Finally, someone. Oh, my God. Wow. That's just so gross. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Every. Well, and every step of this is just even more unbelievable. 
Like I know most serial killers you hear about are just kind of a single act. They have a way that they do it. And and that's yeah, kind of it. a group effort, which is, yeah, this is so weird. It's always, I think that's part of it is that it's an anomaly and that neither of them are speaking out. Yeah. So they're, yeah, he managed to like find people in family. It is. Yeah. He managed to zero. And, and I mean, it, you know, it was so long ago, maybe he did, approach other people at one time to kind of bring into this ring. But it is amazing yeah. that he seemingly zeroed in on people that he knew would be into it. Cause that, cause I mean that until you actually get to that point where you're going to help someone yeah. kill another person, I can't, I can't imagine you could just be sure that like, they're going to be into this. And the idea that he sat with oh, it for yeah. a month. Oh, it's and so, was like, so I'm going to think this over. I'm going to think yeah. about helping you abduct people. Yeah, you'd you'd assume that for that month the dude's just sweating it like he's got to be going to the cops. Why wouldn't he go to the cops? And then he comes yeah. back after a month and he's like, "Yeah, I'm into this. Let's do it." Yeah. So they kept abducting and killing teenage boys for about a year and a half at this wow. point. And oh Coral God. kept moving around to like keep the police off his trail. He just for whatever reason was really good at finding ways to be evasive to police. Right there. So they're, yeah, they're finding bodies, but they're finding, or no, they're not even finding bodies. People yeah, are just disappearing. Really them. They're just disappearing. Wow. And it's the seventies where people disappearing is. It's less like it is now where people disappear and people freak out a bit more. They're like, oh, like they'll turn yeah. up. And then when they don't, they're like, oh, <laughs> oh, no. shoot. Well, and well, it's yeah, I mean, I'm I'm assuming it's not necessarily that big of like an area they're preying on, but it's back in the days when. Well, they're there in was, Houston, there was... Texas, so Houston. OK, so maybe there's a lot area. of precincts. Yeah. And and they think so. don't necessarily talk with each other. They're not necessarily sharing yeah. information on missing people. Oh, well, right. And and I'm pretty sure this is well before there was any kind of like missing person database. So it, yeah, they're not actively working like all of these crimes or anything. Yeah. From what I understand, more of that stuff that we have with technology and the way the police work with and talk with each other didn't really come up more until like the nineties. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah. Min so, minimum, minimum eighties, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it was in the nineties. It's it was, I think it was available in the eighties, but they didn't really use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. were, they were so used to just doing everything themselves. Yeah. Doing their own thing. <laughs> there was presumably enough of an outcry from the public of like, Hey, Maybe a little bit of interconnectedness would be great. And you guys could like yeah. solve some of this stuff. Yeah. So this brings us to August 7th, 1973. Okay. So Henley invited an acquaintance, 19-year-old Timothy Cordell Curley, to Dean's apartment in Pasadena. I just I'm I'm sorry, I just have to stop for a second. Is Curly his legit last name? Yes, it's K-E-R-L-E-Y. Oh, okay. Curly. It's, it still sounds funny, but I, yeah. It, that, it does. I I know. 
Oh, man, that seems like a rough last name to grow up with. Oh, yeah. And Brooks was not present at the time that this particular event took place. Which I think is kind of like an important thing to note for what happens. Yeah, yeah, everything about it. Like, he's been with this guy for years, and he's... It just, yeah, it screams to me of like a severe codependence kind of thing where he just can't let the relationship go. He's willing to do whatever it takes to keep the relationship intact, including turning a blind eye to horrific acts. Yeah, which is not the relationship you want. No, yeah, we could go on record and saying that like, if yeah, that is not what you're going for. No. So... Timothy was intended to be the next victim of Coral. Oh, so he was. So Wayne and Timothy arrived at Coral's apartment where they drank and sniffed some paint fumes. He's he's still still doing the paint. (laughs) I know. All right. I mean, when you've got a system, I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's just yeah. This guy buys so much fucking paint. He has he doesn't even own a boat. Or I I imagine I imagine he does own a boat, but all he ever does is pulls it out so that he can access the ground and then puts (laughs) it back in. And everyone's like, I'll tell you, that guy takes his boat out of his 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 garage more than anyone I've ever seen and never takes it to the water. Isn't that weird? He's just he's always doing like maintenance and the He's an odd duck, that one. Yeah, he's a bit out. And he always he's he's always buying all this paint, but he doesn't he doesn't you know the 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 color of the boat never changes. He doesn't own a house. I, I don't know what he's painting, but eh, whatever. <laughs> so they then left and were like, oh like we'll be back shortly. They went to go move Timothy's car so that he could then like leave it at Henley's place. So they're like, Yeah, let's go like move your car, then like we can drive together and like, we'll come back later. Weird. Yeah. So as they were doing that, they then heard commotion at the neighbor's house across the street and found Wayne's neighbor, Rhonda Louise Williams outside with like a sprained ankle. And she had been beaten by her drunk father. Oh, wow. So they're like, you know what? Like, (laughs) Don't stay here. Come hang out with us. Oh, okay. I think at this time, Wayne then was like, okay, like this isn't going to happen tonight. Like whatever. It's kind of breaking the mood, guys. I don't think. Yeah. Which it's interesting that this is where he kind of has some morals. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that. I thought for sure you were going to say that this is what convinced Curly to go with him. No, like, let's get he, out of here. He was, he was having a good time. They were already going. Oh, they were okay. going to go back. He's like, yeah, let's go back. Let's huff some more paint. Let's yeah. Go. So, so like this, this event that is un, uh, untied to their evening of debauchery is just occurring outside. And, and suddenly Wayne is like, ah, I don't know. This is, this is kind of ruining it for me. This violence going on outside is really ruining my killer instinct. My neighbor being beat by her father is just like, I, you know, I can't handle this. Like, this just is not okay. She needs to be removed from the situation. Every step of this is just another weird thing. Yeah, like, 
I that I almost would have assumed that that would somehow amp it up for him, get him charged, but that's I'm supposed to be being vicious and vile to people, not other people. I, yeah, I don't that's know. That's so weird. All right. So then he invited her to come to Dean's place. And when they got in, Dean was really confused and upset that Henley even brought yeah. a girl there. Right. She's, um, she's 15, so younger. He's like, you brought a girl here. Like, what are you doing? You're ruining everything. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And... I guess then, in a way I can I can maybe see that where he's because they're clearly into killing young men. And so yeah. I, I suppose he sees he, he has a sort of empathy for this young woman who's being abused and maybe he was abused by his own father or something. Maybe. But but yeah, I can see then, too, how he gets back and, and uh, Dave is like or Dean, Dean, Dean. Dean. Yeah. Dean's like, this isn't the plan. What the hell is this? Yeah. He's like, what? What the hell, man? This is not what we agreed on. Yeah. And he then explained, like, the situation. And they're like, well, like, this was happening with Rhonda. And, like, we want to make her feel safe. And yeah, he's like, okay. Like, he seemed to calm down and then indulged the trio in alcohol and some pot. So there you go. Finally, finally, something that's weird. Yeah, come on. It's about damn time. It took like the early to mid 70s to get you into pot. Or maybe he's just like, we don't waste pot on victims. Okay. maybe maybe that's it. And then then they switched to actual party mode and he's like, all right, we'll break out the pot. Yeah. So then after about two hours, Curly, Henley and Williams all passed out. Oh, wow. All right. And then Henley woke up to find himself on his stomach with Coral snapping handcuffs onto his wrists. Oh, and his, God. His mouth was taped shut and his ankles were bound. Oh. And then both Curly and Williams had been tied up and were gagged with tape as well. And Curly was stripped naked, but Williams was not. And they were they were still passed out at this point. Mm-hmm. And Dean yeah, noticed him. Wayne was starting to wake up and removed the tape from his mouth to then tell him how angry he was with him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's like well, screaming at him. You blew it bringing that girl. I'm going to kill you all. But first, I'm going to have my fun. And oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I know. He's he is crazy. Right. I was going to say there was no there was no uh, uh, question earlier that he was nuts. But it's again, just every step. It's so weird that he seems to have this extra craziness on top of just when you think he's hit the final gear of crazy. He he pulls out one more. Like he's that's all. Yeah, that's all it took. And he's going to be like, well, now I'm killing you all. You yeah, screwed me for the last time, Henley. All I could think of, like, as he's doing this is the fact that he was always smiling. So I just think of him being like, I'm going to kill you all now with like a big grin oh on his face. And you're like, oh, oh, no. I'm the candy man, bitch. And I'm about to have my candy. Oh, oh God. 
Yeah, Dean then repeatedly kicked Rhonda in the chest. So he's Ugh. really upset about her being there. God, yeah, I guess. Ugh. And God. he's like, I just want to get her over and done. Yeah. And then I can do my normal thing. He then grabbed Henley and like brought him up to his feet and brought him into the kitchen and threatened to shoot him in the stomach with a 22 Ugh. caliber pistol. Yeah. And this is when Wayne then claimed that Dean, or sorry, Wayne then promised Dean that he would help with everything. He's like, no, 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 like, don't worry. Like, I will, I will help you kill and torture both of them. Right. And he's like, okay, like, I, I guess, I guess, I see what you're saying. So he then released him and handed him a, cut, a hunting knife to cut off Rhonda's clothes. As he's like, you know, like, if we're going to do this, we're doing this together. Yeah. And, like, you got to do the same thing that I'm doing. Like, if... Like, you have you, to participate you in a get way. The, you get the girl. Yeah. I don't want the girl. That's so weird. It's, it's weird. I, so, Henley then began cutting off Williams's clothes, and Coral began to assault Curly, which is when they both woke up. And Oh, wow. Well, she didn't wake up when she was getting kicked out. in the chest? No. <laughs> Oh, wow. I know. Uh, I thought for sure she'd have been... Oh, God. It might have, like, woken her up, and they, like, wasn't quite with it until yeah, they came she back. Was, yeah, she was still woozy, and, and yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, and... Yeah. Henley then asked if he could take Rhonda to the other room. He's like, oh, like, I'm I'm going to take her to the other room, like have alone time or whatever. Yeah. And then he grabbed the 22 pistol that Dean left in the kitchen. Okay. And he shouted at him, you've gone far enough. And he then responded, kill me, Wayne. Yeah. Do it. Wow. And, like, started walking towards him and was, like, being intimidating. And he's like, you can't do it. Like, you can't kill me. So then he shot him in the forehead. Oh, my and God. And he still kept going. Uh, Twenty-two is a fairly small caliber, so it could go off. It's of a smaller belt. gun. It, but it still. could have. But, but still. Yeah, but still. Headshot. You're still getting shot in the face. And being like, oh, well, yeah, that's, keep going. Yeah, that's still going to ring your bell pretty good. Yeah, so then he shot him two more times, one of them hitting him in the shoulder. So then he staggered out of the room, and that's when he shot him three more times. And that's, like, what finally killed him. Wow. So Jesus. he had to get shot six times first. This is, wow. wow. It's like, uh, it's like uh, that, that, that Russian guy that was... For the, the uh, czar. Yeah. And, uh, the famous, he's like a soothsayer. It's creepy. The hell's oh, his name? you mean uh, Rasputin? Yeah, there you go. I am very aware of Rasputin. Got like, got shot like three times and stabbed oh, and poisoned. Like, and, die? Yeah. He's just like. Oh, I know. 
Yeah, yeah, he's like the serial killer version of Rasputin. Yeah, he kind of is. Then afterwards, Wayne released Rhonda and Timothy. And they discussed what they should do next. And they're like, do we call the cop? Well, and I suppose that... Yeah, yeah, you should call the police. I suppose at this point, Henley could be like, I didn't have any... Because Dean's dead. So he may he would maybe be thinking like I'm a victim just like you guys I I don't know this is so weird I just I saved you with the gun I yeah let's call the cops because they'll never suspect I'm an he, accomplice he definitely could have so then he called the police and told them like y'all better come here right now I just killed a man we need help yeah and it was during this time that he fucked up. And that he was oh. telling Timothy how he could have gotten $200 for him and like oh. this and that. And he then told the police when they arrived that he made the call. Dean was inside <laughs> and then confessed to like the whole thing. Ah, well, good for him. Oh. Well. He... He says that he got to the point where he was just like so over everything and he was done. Yeah, he he maybe wasn't as into it as he thought he was going into it. And then he got into deep. Yeah, he he thought it was what he wanted and then it was not. And he didn't know how to back out. Yeah. So he while he was in custody, he told him about how the three of them were involved together, so with Brooks, and how they'd been doing this operation for almost three years. And Wayne and David were tried separately. So Henley was charged with six murders between March of 1972 and July of 1973. Oh, wow, that is a much shorter time frame than I would. I thought it was going to be at least like five years. No, it was it was only three years because it was 1970 to 1973. Yeah. So it's probably closer to like two and a half, actually. Wow. But yeah. And that's just the murders he was involved with. Not even include not counting Dean's total kill. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that is just Wayne Henley being in tra- being involved with. Right, right. It is at least six. That's there were six that they could for sure put on him. Right. Yeah. That they. Yeah. Yeah. They're very usually when you are tried with murder, they want to get it right the first time. Yeah, and even even a confession isn't enough to like pin a murder on someone like officially you can put someone in jail for like multiple murders, but you can't officially attribute a kill to someone without like specific hard evidence. Yeah. And I feel like I should say that that is generally what happens. There are exceptions to this rule and this, this does happen like that particular mindset does happen more when you are white versus mm. a person oh, of color, which okay, yeah, like as a white person, you aren't wrongly convicted of 
crimes and murder as frequently as a person of color. Right, right. But he he was found guilty of all six charges and was given six concurrent 99 years in prison. So six sentences of 99 years served at the same time. What did, what did they have an old Microsoft like DOS computer that couldn't go to a hundred? Like, why not just make it a hundred? Like 99? They had, 99. They had, a, they had a two digit clicker and they were clicking up the years for each one. And they're like, like we got 99. We can't go higher. We can't. Yeah, sir, if, sir, if I click it again, it's just going to go to zero and we can't have that on the books. We, we just can't. <laughs> Well, can we just call it a hundred? Well, sir, we have to go by what the clicker is, sir. Like, Why don't we? Have we to... can do it six times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you can still do ninety. He's not getting out. Well, but can't we just say a hundred? Well, sir, I'd have to click it one more time, and then it would say zero. And I, our, sir, I already explained this to you. It's like, <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll just we'll just do six of ninety nine. Okay. Yeah, and David Brooks was charged with one murder. Even though they very much tried to get him a lighter sentence in that he wasn't involved in any actual killings. Right. He was he was like an accomplice. Uh, he, was he was an murderer. accomplice for the abduction, but he knew what was happening to these victims. Right. He was he was he was easily so, an accessory. Yeah, he knew what was going to happen. Yes. So he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. No, so not he, 99 was, years. No, not 99 years. <laughs> You're going to get 199. You're going to get 699. And we'll call it, we'll call it life. Yeah. And it is known that there were at least 28 victims at the hand of Dean and his accomplices. Wow. And Dean's own mother believed that there were more than that. And that they just hadn't found them. Yeah. Which I feel like that's a lot coming from his own mom who yeah. fired someone because he was being very forward with them at work and sure. sexually harassing them. And you usually hear the idea of like, it can't be my boy. Not he was such a good boy where she's like, it was probably more. She's like, yeah, it's probably more like uh, 20, 28. Yeah, 28 isn't enough. It had to have been more. She's that sure of it. Yeah, there were 42 boys that had gone missing in the Houston area in 1970. Wow. So that one possible. year? I think it was a little longer. The way they phrased it in the article was like kind of weird. So it could have been from like 1970 to 1973 but it's right, right. either way it's still like a large amount of boys that have gone missing and people have not found yeah and it's and not uh, out of the realm of possibility that he had something no. to do with a lot of them oh no absolutely not and for those that have been found and reported it is very possible that there are more that they just have not told police about because they either don't want to, or they actually don't know. For sure. Yeah. Because just because they're luring boys for Dean doesn't mean that Dean wasn't also doing it himself. Yeah. Yeah. As he had done in his earlier days. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not, yeah, right, right. It's, it's not that that is the 
each one that that the other two guys were involved with. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily encompass everything that he was doing. He just needed to broaden his network. He's like, I'm working on these guys over here. You're going to work yeah. on these guys over there. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. It's, that is horrifying. It's very possible. And as of right now, it is known that he had 28 victims. And of those 28, 27 have been identified. One has not. Oh, wow. Okay. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of unheard of. It's usually there are more people that are unidentified. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But we we may never know how many people were actually killed by Dean and his gang of goons. But he will always yeah. be known as the Candyman. Oh, the chillingly oh. sweet tooth of the Candyman. And oh. you're right. Yeah, that <laughs> That had absolutely nothing, nothing to do with the movies. That's no, kind of surprising to me. I was, I that, was, I was sure I knew what you were going to be talking about this week. I, I honestly thought so too. Is I'm like, oh, like aren't they related? And then actually going into, it, I was like, oh, they're not. Okay, yeah, cool. That's kind of shocking. But I do want to, at some point, revisit. Uh, Wayne Henley oh, and yeah. just like what happened with him and Dean during that time, because there was a lot that happened and I actually made the decision to not cover it just because I did not want to have a two and a half hour episode for everyone. Cause I know that's <laughs> yeah. really long. That's a lot to commit to in a listen. Yeah. But that is where our story ends. But we will we will probably wow. revisit it because I do have him on our list of people to go back to. OK, good to know. Yeah, a little bit of a follow up on. on. So Dean's yeah. story is essentially over, but we can come back to Henley and his insanity. Yeah. And kind of talk about what exactly happened with his murder spree involving Dean and kind of David Brooks. Right. I say kind of because he just brought the people and then left. Yeah, so Brooks was wasn't as involved. Brooks was an odd lackey to these two crazy dudes. Yeah. So well, I hope you, you all enjoyed very our well very told. strong drink to go yeah. with that dark story. The candy store. It's got, yeah, it's got a little bit of a sweetness on top and then just actually, you know what? It ended up being a perfect sort of uh, accompaniment to this story because it's, yeah. it's sweet on the top and it is devastating underneath. It's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And depending on how Absolutely. you make it, you, you might not even taste the alcohol. So yeah, that works out perfectly. It'll sneak yeah. up on you. Yeah. God, that was you, creepy. Not what you yeah. Now, would you? Yeah, it'll it'll literally sneak up on you. Yeah. That creepy guy. So, well, if uh, if you happen to have any suggestions for us, stories or or pairings or uh, yeah, you can reach us at peculiarpairingspod at gmail dot com, on Twitter at peculiarpairpod, and at Instagram or on Instagram at peculiarpairingspod, and also find us on Patreon. Yeah, we're we're everywhere. It's in the description. Yeah. We make it easy for you. Exactly. Yeah, it'll it'll be there. Yeah. Do you have any That's ratings good. for our food and drink pairings? Yeah, I I uh I like the drink. 
Um, I'm gonna give it a, a six though. I, I think. Um, and uh, and my girlfriend Lily gave me some suggestions about like. Yeah. I really wanted the club soda to give it more of a fizziness because I wanted it to to be akin to like a punch. Yeah. Um, hence the hut. Club soda is not as fizzy as I thought it would be. It just kind of ended up watering it down. So I think next time, uh, if I was going to make yeah. it again, I would I would go with either Sprite or 7-Up. Um, it seems like those yeah. have a bit more fizziness. Um, I would and then say maybe so. even Yeah, and then maybe even use more 7-Up and then just adding grenadine instead of Hawaiian Punch. Because um, it'll... Yeah, it, it'd be almost more of like a, a Shirley Temple than... Yeah, uh, it would be a, an extra dirty Shirley. Ooh. Yeah, and you got a you got a brown liquor and a clear liquor. You're you're double dipping from each side of the aisle, so to speak. But exactly. um, so I think it could be improved. I'll give that a six. Yeah. Bit of honeys. Um, I'm gonna give a, a seven. Um, I love bit of honeys, but in terms of it being a party snack, I very quickly it's not much <laughs> of a party snack. Well, it's. I guess what I mean is, is it's fine if you are watching a movie or something and you yeah. just want something. I forgot how firm they are. Uh, it is not conducive, especially the individually wrapped ones. I was becoming very aware of yeah. how much I had to mute my microphone because I'm like crinkling wrappers. And, and, <laughs> and once I put it in my mouth, I'm like, oh, I won't be able to talk for at least a minute and a half. <laughs> so like, no. Yeah, as just a, a flavor, a taste, I still like it. I'll, I'll give, I'll give it like. In in the realm of doing a podcast with it, I'm gonna go with a seven because I really like it, but yeah. it was not, it was not conducive to talking. And so yeah, the whole pairing, I'll I'm gonna go with a six. Yeah, I I personally would agree with those numbers. I I was kind of hoping for like a little bit more fizziness with the drink as well but overall yeah. i did enjoy it so not a bad time and since i had homemade caramels from oh. family i'm gonna give those a 10 because they were amazing <laughs> and i love them and i am biased so you're welcome that's a pretty yeah i mean even <laughs> that's a good rating yeah you're going you're going with this it's a good rating to give that's but, fair and you can't beat homemade i mean homemade caramels are no. just no Oh no. And I have had bit of honey. It's been a little while, but I do like them. So I'd probably give those about a seven as well. Cause they're good, but when they are individually wrapped, they can be a little stiff. Yeah. I forgot the like best. Tootsie roll. It's it's like the stale Tootsie roll from Halloween. Yes. It's like a little hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I I think I even started off describing them as like a honey Tootsie Roll, but they they do not have the same consistency. They're they're no. meant to be kind of sucked on. They're meant to be just kind of sitting yeah. in your mouth and 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 they're like a they're like a slow release pain reliever. They they just leaking out a bit they of honey, are. a bit of honey. That's the, they're called a bit of honey. But overall, uh, good stuff. Thank you for the story and uh and I'm excited for the next one. Do you do you know what our next story is going to be? I do, actually. Let me pull it up real quickly. We are talking about a haunting. Ooh. And we are talking about the, I think it's the Mason Temple in Detroit. 
I'm to bring back my big boy Baggins. Come it's, on, Zach. Yep. It is the Detroit Masonic Temple, which is known to be haunted. So we we will see how that goes. That sounds freaking cool. And I'll definitely look and see if Ghost Adventures has traveled there. <laughs> yes. One, because I'm actually genuinely curious. And two, I wonder if Zach has like yelled at any ghosts over there because he does he does do that. He yells at them. So. I, I just like doing uh, doing Shire jokes. So I, if he's attached in any way, I'll be very happy. <laughs> we'll find out next time. Ooh, good teaser. Yeah. Come back next time and see if we can talk to Bilbo or whatever. Sounds good. <laughs> see y'all next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.